Welcome to the Newson Health Menopause Podcast. I'm Dr. Louise Newson, a GP and menopause specialist, and I'm also the founder of the Menopause Charity. In addition, I run the Newson Health Menopause and Wellbeing Clinic here in Stratford-upon-Avon. So today I have with me Lorraine Candy, who I've known for a couple of years now. And when I first met her, she actually didn't really seem to know much about the menopause and HRT. And now when I listen to her every week, she knows nearly as much as me. So hi, Lorraine. Thanks for joining me today. (laughs) Hi, Louise. (laughs) I don't know whether we were introduced or I just stalked you or you stalked me on social media, but we sort of connected, didn't we, probably a couple of years ago now? Yeah, I think it was when I was at the Sunday Times and I was editing Style and I was trying very hard to get a piece in the newspaper about perimenopause and menopause because I really just started to do some research on it based on personal stuff things we people were saying to me and my sense that it was something that was coming towards us that we were all going to have to talk about and you seem to be the leading expert and the only way I could get something in to the paper because nobody was interested was to do a spa review <laughs> it was a conundrum there just wasn't anyone who wanted to read mm. about this and actually when we did the spa review, it was incredibly well read incredibly well shared and it was kind of the beginning of a journey really but it's the only way which it felt palatable in a national newspaper. Now, of course, we know now, I mean, on Sunday, for example, I think there were about six pieces in the paper. And, you know, there are, Mm. as we know, lots of books, yours included, coming out this year. So it is really being talked about now, thank goodness. The information is getting out there for women. Yeah, it is. But it's really hard, actually, because I remember when I spoke to you and you were talking about doing a sort of spa experience and looking at places, there were very few that looked holistically but also very few that were not giving these compounded bioidentical hormones that are not regulated not licensed and eye-wateringly expensive actually so it is a real problem and actually trying to make people understand that the menopause is not just something that frumpy women who are middle-aged are going to experience a few symptoms and then get on with it it's a very different thing so it's very hard selling that to the media isn't it I think it's hard for people to get their head around anything that is very specifically women you can get your head around diabetes but you can't get your head around a hormone deficiency because it affects Mm. women specifically and it's quite the narrative is so negative around it and even women don't want to buy and I have to say the most resistance I encountered on newspapers was from other women editors so Mm. you know it's just I don't want to be identified with that I don't want to read about it you know and my job was on the stylish kind of modern part of the paper anyway <laughs> but I think you know it is changing and you know the Davina McCall mm. program on Channel 4 was an amazing game changer and really it's medical information isn't it that we're getting out there it's treatment that we're getting out there. Absolutely I think the problem is for so many years or decades women have been given wrong information journalists have but also sadly healthcare professionals have as well and it's trying to match all that and educate and empower all those groups of people that's only going to make a big difference but I do think some of the work that I'm doing and probably you're doing actually if we both had a pair of testicles in our pants and were men we find it would be listened to more and in fact there was a great article yesterday in the business section of the times written by James Timpson who owns the most amazing company Timpson's who everyone heard of I actually spoke to him a couple of weeks ago to give him some information to write and angle the article in and it had a really good response actually which was great and it certainly helped him being a man writing as a, in a perspective of an organisation 
that really looks after his workforce, which obviously Timpsons is very well known. So it was great actually to read some of the comments and feedback from that article. Yes. And it goes more than just giving people a policy to reduce their hours and stay at home. It's actually about keeping women at work and improving the way they feel and function, isn't it? I think it's also redressing that terrible, flawed, awful Women's Health Initiative survey, which caused all the problem around and attitude towards hormone replacement therapy, which still, you know, I still encounter quite a lot. (laughs) When Mm. I talk to my own healthcare professionals, when I talk to people, there is still a sense that HRT is not right and it's dangerous and you know as you know I often get involved in many Twitter spats with journalists one particular Times journalist um, Mm -hmm. only recently explaining that if you talk about fitness health lifestyle anything for women in midlife you must offer the chance to take HRT that's the treatment that's the preventative treatment Mm -hmm. and there's an extreme resistance to that still I think but you know it is changing because of all the facts from the documentary. Yes, which is so good. So you do a weekly podcast, do. don't you? Which So you do together, don't you, with yeah. Trish? So just explain a bit more about that, because that sort of springboarded you into a way yes. that maybe you weren't planning on doing. Well, we started the podcast probably just over a year ago. We've done about 54 episodes. It's called Postcards from Midlife. I do it with Trish Halpin. She used to edit Marie Claire. And I used to edit Sunday Times Style. But between us, we've edited Marie Claire, Red, Elle, In Style, Cosmopolitan, Sunday Times Style. So we've really edited the big glossy magazines of the last sort of 20, 30 years. Between us, the whole lot, apart from Vogue, actually. So we have a really strong midlife audience, a group of women who followed us through on that. And we thought that if we, as journalists, didn't know about midlife and the menopause and perimenopause and everything then how the hell could normal women know about it because our job is to pick up the phone and find it out and we have our ultimate access to many places so we started it as a kind of light-hearted magazine program it's now weekly and we've got quite a big community around it I think we've had almost two million downloads of those episodes we get some great guests we've had Elizabeth Hurley Kate Galloway you've been on Catelyn Moran Bobby Brown we talk to Mm. spirited women in midlife about their journey because medical and physical aside it's a real transition it's a huge change and a lot happens to women at this part of their life and I don't think Gen X is quite comfortable with the narrative around us so we're changing it and we're talking about it so we've been doing that it's quite hard work a podcast (laughs) it is A lot of research has to be done. We write scripts and, you know, we've sort of talked to guests beforehand and we make sure that we have a couple of experts. We quote for one section of the show as well, how to win at midlife. So we test a lot of stuff and uh, we apply the same rigor to it that we used to apply to editing magazines. And Mm. it seems to, you know, we've got a very lively Facebook, private Facebook group where women talk to each other about things. And it just begun the conversation in a relatable, it's not just me gosh, I thought it was only happening to me way, which is less frightening perhaps than being told about something you don't quite know about from a medical point of view. And you're absolutely right. I mean, one of the um, privileges, as many privileges of being a doctor, but one of it is that people tell you all sorts of things that you weren't always expecting and you get a real insight into people's lives. But it's very easy, isn't it, to look at people who externally you've thought of as successful because they're famous or they're wealthy or they've got a certain lifestyle. So actually on your podcast, you hear the vulnerability of some of these women and you realise that the menopause doesn't just pick off certain people. It affects all of us, actually, but often in different ways. So I think having real lived-in experiences is so important. But you're absolutely right. It's no mean feat doing a podcast. I decided to set mine up 
just really to try and reach more women. And there's quite a lot of demands to make sure that it's done well and that you get the right feedback and trying to fit it in with full-time job and everything else yeah. it's quite hard but also I read yesterday there's a million podcasts so that's a lot yes. people to choose from isn't it <laughs> I think we also felt that you could say with the menopause and perimenopause oh well it's okay for her she's wealthy she can afford the best it doesn't mm. matter you can get HRT on the NHS for free <laughs> so yeah. in actual fact a lot of the women we talked to who were famous were taking the bio identical mm. ones and actually after we'd spoken to them and given them all the information changed onto the body identical HRT so I, I like to think that we've helped and then those voices can then take that message out further and say this is what you and particularly with Meg Matthews as well as you know and I would say half the guests that we've talked to have changed from one to the other and are now taking the correct medication. Which is amazing. So it's having this effect. I'm trying a lot, obviously, with healthcare education and then trying also with women and also men to be educated. But the work that you're doing is also really pivotal because actually it's also making people understand when they don't realise they need to understand. Yeah. I think, which is yeah. quite hard yeah. sometimes. It's hard, isn't it? Isn't it? If you don't so, know what you don't know. <laughs> yeah, well, precisely. And so talking about that, so I've always really respected you for lots of ways but mainly because you've got four children and I feel I'm cheating because I only have three (laughs) Um, but it's (laughs) having children and a career is a real juggling act and actually I look back when I had two children under the age of two thinking that was hard but then suddenly having teenagers and then a baby as well is quite difficult and Actually, I realise now how easy it is to have a baby and a toddler compared to yes. a teenager where you're, you know, you're arguing or not arguing or trying not to argue about the number of piercings that they have or yeah. where they're going out or what you're going to do. And so I've obviously read your column for a long time, but then your book, Mum, What's Wrong With You? 101 Things Only Mothers of Teenage Girls Know. It's just been incredible. And I know it's been, it's not been out for very long, has it? But it's been very successful, which is so well deserved. But it must have taken you so long to write and pull everything together. Well, it's a funny one because <laughs> it was sort of prompted by the panda. I mean, I've been trying to write it on and off for about five years, but it's quite hard to edit a weekly and have four children and a yes. podcast and write a book. And there's just, there actually simply isn't enough hours in the day. But I knew it was important to get it out there because so many women have been saying to me, you know, it's not a book for people facing extreme challenges of mental health with their adolescence. It's for ordinary everyday lives where you sit down, usually at the bottom of the stairs and think, oh my God, what have I done? That was the worst mm. bit of parenting or, oh my God, what's going to happen? I don't know. It's to make women feel that they were less alone because it's very specific, I think, parenting girls compared to boys. And mm. I did it during the, the lockdowns. I got up incredibly early in the morning and just, you know, it's got a lot of expert interviews with experts, all of which had to be checked and rechecked from the columns. So there's lots of therapists, psychotherapists, health, nutrition, period experts, you know, hormone experts. So it was really the fact checking that took <laughs> the time. And then navigating what kind of personal bits I could put in and what I couldn't. And I wanted it to be funny as well. So, I mean, I think we did the actual physically writing and editing all in about a six month, eight month period. You know, you just I think sometimes you just get on with things, don't you? When you're a mum, you just sort of do it because you need to get it done. Absolutely. I was someone sitting in my clinic today and I said to her this morning, actually, I think I'd be 
I just wonder how much I'd achieve if I didn't have children. I would do so much more. But then actually, I think I would do less because I'm cramming things in all yeah. the time. And actually, although I work really hard, my priority is still my family, yeah. which I think a lot of people find it very hard to believe. But I think if I wasn't working, I would be micromanaging my children. I would be aware yeah. of every single second, everything that they were doing. And I would just have fallen out with them by now. There's no doubt about it. I mean, my children now are 18, 16 and 10. And I have a really good relationship. And it's very interesting. Some of the book you're talking about, they can't be your friends. But it's about them choosing what they tell you, isn't it? Which is what you tease out well in the book. And also, you know, every child's different. But I think there's so much, even the beginning, just you've got these great lists about the surprise signs you suddenly have a teenager. (laughs) And um, I think it's just really reassuring that you know that it's not just you that have this whole thing. Because I remember... A few years ago, one of my friends said about the number of piercings their daughter had and she had nose and she was getting a tongue pierced or something. And I was like, oh, gosh, well, I've only just relented to my children having their singles done, you know, because they were yeah. just going to senior school or something. And and now I look at the piercings that both my older children have. Some of them they've done themselves. Some of them they've actually gone to the place <laughs> to have them done. And I just think, actually, you choose your battles, don't you, sometimes? And that isn't a yeah. battle that I've ever really... That's not your line in the sand. And also, I think it's their body. And Mm. this youth, Gen Z, is very different from our youth. So how we view Mm. it is they view it in a very, really different way. And they view tattoos in a very different way. They view sexuality in a different way. So Mm. we can't overlay our own adult and our lived experience around it. And it's funny, I've given lots of talks with schools and you know, for the book launch as well. And the piercings thing is a real trigger point for parents, particularly mums. And they seem to want to say that if I say no piercings, I mean no piercings. And I tend to think it's an almost impossible to make that work. (laughs) And I I think physically, you just can't, they're gonna, you know, their peer group, it's part of their tribal Mm -hmm. behaviour, and the holes will close up. So, you know, my line in the mind is not telling me where you're going and not coming back on time. You know, you should always have boundaries with consequences, but I just think they're unenforceable with piercings. And it's a really, I asked a mum the other day to work out why she was so upset about the piercings and what it was. And it, when we talked it through, it was really about the baby, this lovely child in that way and that's delicate skin that she'd love so much as a baby and a little girl and there was so much more going on than the piercings and actually that was what was better to explore and think about than saying if you have a piercing that's it we're going to you know stop your allowance yeah it's very interesting isn't it I mean my middle daughter did her own third piercing without telling me for ages and I feel such a mug I didn't even realize and she then told me that it was magnetic so when I tried to reach the back of the magnet obviously she wouldn't let me because it had a great big yes and I was really 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 cross like really cross and I was cross because she'd lied to me actually yeah. I wasn't cross about the piercing yeah. and yeah. once she realized that you know it makes you realize and it is like this whole thing about boundaries we're very we work on trust I mean that's the way I live everyone who works with me knows I can't lie so it's really important so if the children ever lie that's when I get cross not because of what they've done yeah I think sometimes maybe it's easier because I'm a doctor obviously nothing shocks me I've seen so much in so many over years especially when I was working in A&E and hospitals but I've always said to the children if you ever get into trouble 
I'll help you and then I'll judge you secondly. Yeah. And that's actually really helped them and their friends sometimes get out of quite potentially difficult situations. And it is really hard for them, isn't it, to learn because it's so much faster paced than I think than when we were teenagers and things are a lot more accessible for them and they almost have to grow up a lot quicker, don't they? But they're still very vulnerable, aren't they? So it's finding that balance. Well, I think the thing that was most striking to me and I interviewed two neuroscientists for the book is that their brains from the age of 12 to 25 are being, and it's new science, it's only really being studied in the last mm. couple of years, are being taken apart and put back together again. The back of the brain is built first, so the emotions bit. So that's why they feel emotions, it's why get incredibly upset about things. Um, and the logic reason bit doesn't get really put together till quite late in teenage. So in that sort of 12 to 17 year period, nothing makes sense to them. How can anything make mm. sense in an adult rational way when your brain is, all the wires are unplugged? And then how can you look at what your hormones are doing exactly at the same time and also your whole body is changing I think forming your identity is probably and the therapist will say is the single most important thing you can do and you do it between the ages of 12 and 20 so while all of that is going on to expect them to be upset about you being upset about piercings is quite a big ask I think or to expect them to tidy up their bedrooms or the things that are common to them and and the other thing I think that is happening at the moment is there's much bigger understanding on the neurodiversity of our adolescents that they are not in any way the same that some of them are developing at a very different pace mm. for others and we tend to generalize and also so therefore what works with one child certainly what works with my older daughter does not work with my second daughter it's a completely different way of interacting and you know I didn't want to write a book that was here are the things that you can do because it simply won't work there's about a million things you can try and some of them are really tiny (laughs) you know and really effective but big changes and the main theme is to keep some kind of connection so that if they are in trouble and it's interesting you say about talking about them afterwards one of the things the kind of adolescent mental health experts always recommend is that when they come back and there's a terrible thing has happened at a party or they've done something awful that's not the time to talk about what you feel about what you know a 24-hour period has to go through Mm -hmm. because building resilience and learning from things is really key for them and letting them feel bad things and get upset and get hurt and get sad is really really good for them because they build that resilience and then you can talk it through and they'll have worked some of it through themselves in those 24 hours I think as well. It is really important isn't it I've had some quite heated rows with my middle daughter who's quite flamboyant and a couple of times I've just thought I'm going to let it go because whatever I say is just going to make me upset Mm. so I might as well just let her shout and rant and tell me all these things storm off to her room And then actually, most times she'll either text me or write me a really long letter telling me how much she loves me. And the first time she did it, it was just staggering, actually, because I was storing up all this resentment in my body, but also thinking, what have I done wrong? Why have I brought up a daughter who's so cross and so angry? (laughs) Yeah. And then because I'm busy with everything else, I still had to fire off 100 emails and make supper and whatever. So I didn't have time to concentrate too much. But then when this letter that came down the stairs, you know, absolutely gorgeous, knowing that I'm processing it herself. And that is really important, far better, isn't it? To be able to learn and process and work out. And I also think as a mother, 
if she doesn't shout at me, then who else is she going to shout at? Yes. And they've got to have some outlet, haven't they? Somebody who can be... Well, they call it yeah. latency and it's a process where up until the age of about 12 and they're adorable and easy to deal with and they can sort of handle the emotions. But as the brain starts to unravel and everything starts mm. to happen, they can't really handle the emotions. And one of the therapists said, thank God she can hand this awful pile of dreadful thoughts to you. <laughs> Because she can't hand it to her peer group because they're like headless mm. chickens running around mm. anyway. And she can't give it to her teachers or her other people she doesn't know quite. So who who is the strongest woman in her life who can deal with these dreadful things that are happening in her head? And she gives it to you. And that's the hard bit because she'll give it to you in this really angry, aggressive horrible mm. she hates herself she then hates you it's a kind and they're just giving it to you to deal with while their brains are trying to work it out so you just if you throw it back it's really hard then they've got your stuff to deal with as yeah. well as their stuff so it's really hard but it can feel you know ungrateful and rude and I had the same feelings perhaps I've just brought up the most impolite girl in the whole world and no it's just, <laughs> it's just she's just being like that because you can deal with it <laughs> well that's right it is really hard actually and also last week my daughter FaceTimed me and she was in floods of tears she hated school she wanted to come home and she was just exhausted at the end of term hard she's in a this point, yeah. drama production later on in that evening and I said well I'm coming to the school to watch you I can't bring you home because you're in a show and she was in floods of tears and not just to hear her but to see her as well is really awful and then I had to carry on with my clinic and I, mm. there's only so much I can do and then when I went to see her later before the show she came out to the car gave me a massive hug she's all happy completely different child and then after the show I was obviously congratulating her and she said oh mommy I've just realized the only time I get in touch with you is when I feel really sad the other times where I'm really happy I'm with my friends I wouldn't even think about contacting yeah. you that must be really hard for you <laughs> yeah it's actually so well it is tricky but actually it's fine because we know each other well and I adore her and, and it's lovely we have this relationship but if I was menopausal as well with struggling oh. with my own hormones mm. it would completely floor me because I was a few years ago when I was perimenopausal before I started HRT I I had feelings of very low self-worth, low self-esteem, and I was more irritable and I had no sort of memory. So all these arguments didn't really make sense yeah. to me. Yeah. And then I really felt very vulnerable. And so I can see so much more when menopausal women have teenage children and they're not getting their own hormones sorted out. It's really hard, isn't it, Lorraine? I mean, I don't know how. Yeah, you bring a bit of your own childhood into the room, and if you're trying to deal with all of that, mm. and your sense of identity is being completely, for many women, is unravelling at that point as well. So all the hormones are all over the place. And, I mean, I had lost my grip on my temper. I was very, very angry. Mm. The rage, the midlife rage was just overwhelming for me. And to be in that place while my eldest was in her rage place as well I mean it's quite I was so lucky to have mm. had all the experts I was talking to for the column in the paper to deal with that and just to be able to say I'm going to sort myself out and, and make myself happy and look after myself because if they see you looking after yourself that's role modeling really good behavior for them so mm. just saying I can't deal with this at the moment I'm afraid I'm just too cross and I just need to go and have time on my own or, or to, for them to see you eating well, sleeping well, not getting in spiral of drama of it is really good. It sets the neural pathways for them. But I would never, I think we would have a terrible relationship now if I hadn't managed to sort the HRT out because I couldn't remember half of what was going on and I would lose 
words in the middle of arguments and that would make me very cross with myself I'd be very frustrated that you know a woman who'd been editing magazines and was really Mm. smart couldn't remember words for things she couldn't remember the word for cup or you know that point I couldn't remember which side of the road I was supposed to be driving on and it was so infuriating I think women need to get the support because it is the time it all coincides you know and also like Mm. you I had a seven-year-old at the same time or a five Mm. six-year-old at the same time so it was quite you don't want younger children to witness this cataclysmic thing happening all the time and you need the lifestyle changes around it and to take a step back and not take any of it personally because that's the you know that's yeah and that's really hard I mean I um, I had a glimmer actually of what it could be like on Saturday because I'd gone to take my youngest daughter to see Cruella at the cinema and it's quite a long film it's longer than I anticipated and I had to get back because my oldest daughter was playing in a concert and it was being live streamed so I literally had two minutes spare and my husband hadn't quite set up the iPad with the television so I got better sound quality and I just ranted and I swore and I was so cross and everything else and it wasn't until we were watching I realized that I forgot to change my patch last week my HRT patch because my husband said why are you so cross it will will be sorted it'll be fine but I was just irrationally cross about something that I was in control of I could have just said to him calmly can you just switch the television on and hook it on because Jessica's concert is about to start and I, as I sat down, I realised my knees were a bit sore and I quite often get joint pain if I have low estrogen levels. And I thought, oh, no, I forgot to change my patch two days ago. Yeah. And I thought, gosh, this is what I would be like every day. Yeah. My family would have left me. It's horrid. And some women are. Some women are still in, mm-hmm. you know, when I read the messages on our Facebook group, it floors me to hear women who are mm-hmm. desperately, desperately sad. They're in a lot of joint pain. They can't remember anything. Women who've mm-hmm. given up their job because they don't want to they can't do it anymore and it just you know when there's a very easy available cure Mm. (laughs) or certain you know there should be so much more guidance on everything it makes me feel very sad oh don't I I, what I could weave every day with the stories because it's all about us just getting our own hormones back I'm not saying that we should be prescribing a drug or tranquilizer or something with side effects it is literally just our own hormones and when we don't have that choice of being able to have them, mm. it's really difficult. And, you know, I couldn't get HRT for my GP. And so if I didn't have the knowledge or mm. know the right person to go and get HRT, I, I don't know what would have happened. I know I wouldn't be working as a doctor and I know my family wouldn't be with me, I'm sure. Because yeah. Well, I mean, you know, a lot of women have divorced or stepped out of the family home or have just mm. been, it's a kind of grief in a way because mm. they lose a large chunk of their life. I think the other thing that I was thinking the other day so when our eldest left home she left home last October and I was grief stricken it was really sad to you know her room's completely empty none of her things were there and I thought you've got to be mentally quite stable to deal with that (laughs) otherwise it will send you like grief quite mad and if you're not Mm. in the right place because of your menopause or perimenopause I should imagine that that would be extraordinarily difficult particularly Mm. if that's the last child leaving home or your only child leaving home it's just you know it makes me really wonder how women who aren't getting the support are dealing with that empty nest element as well because you it's you're on your own and your identity has changed and it is really hard and often they will blame the empty nest syndrome for their symptoms especially yes, if they're not exactly. getting any hot flushes or sweats and you know it's a great opportunity also isn't it for teenagers to understand what might be going on with their 
parents or their aunties or female relative or even someone older than them at work or their teachers yeah and actually it should be normalized you know if you were having a headache at work you would talk about it wouldn't you and it should be the same thing but we should well quite a few friends of my older children they have picked up the menopause either in their friends mothers or stepmothers actually and then I've had texts from some of these people afterwards saying oh my goodness thanks so much because now I've gone to the doctor and I feel different yeah. and Sophie picked it up you know and I think oh that's great isn't it so well I think that's that's the way we change society isn't it and I think Jen said my teenagers they're very activists they're very clever they're very smart they're very feminist mm. they really want equality for everybody and I think that they will make it Mm. part of society I think the other thing I discovered as I looked at my own hormones and it made me think about what my girls were going through from a hormonal point of view and we don't really understand the menstrual cycle or talk about it and what they'd been taught at school was so basic and so you know there's quite a lot of science and statistics around girls not being anywhere near as effective during exams the week before their period so there's a lot of stuff that we just don't talk about as women and it would be good if we knew it in advance and I kind of think that my teenagers as yours will when they get to sort of 35 36 they'll start thinking how do I need to change my life you know do I need to worry about osteoporosis am Mm. I at risk from any kind of heart how will I need to change my life in the next 10 years to be ready for what's coming towards me because at least they'll know about it and you know for me and for Trish we were just we thought we were going mad I thought I must have early onset Alzheimer's this Mm. is what this is and Trish went to see a therapist she went on antidepressant I mean it really was we were in such an odd place and just we're bright journalists you know which is very scary I mean one of my children actually does use some estrogen gel just before her periods because she gets a bit Mm. of a dip in her mood and it's been transformational and you know if I wasn't doing so much work in the menopause I would certainly be doing more with PMS because it's exactly the same etiology you know estrogen levels dip just before periods and one of the treatments is to just have some gel or some estrogen to just top it up. And it's mm. a lot more natural than taking the contraceptive pill, for example, because it's yeah. safer, has no risk. Yeah. So, you know, I sometimes think, can you imagine what the world would be like if every woman who was missing their hormones had those hormones back? It would be quite a yeah. different place. Well, it would be quite frightening for the patriarchy, I suspect. <laughs> <laughs> so we can try it and see. Quite <laughs> annoying for them. <laughs> so on that note I think it's a great note to sort of round up but I think it's been fantastic having you today just before we end I'd really like you to share three tips actually for people who've been listening who may have teenage girls or have friends who've got teenage girls obviously tip number one would be to buy the book which you can get from good bookstores (laughs) and Amazon but so I'll take that one from you so if you could say three things that would make it easy because some of my friends have their relationships almost really broken down and they've almost given up they're resigned to the fact that they've got this person in their house who they've just is in their bedroom they can't be bothered with them which I think is really sad but three things that might just really help that weren't too difficult well these are things that come from people working in the field with adolescents face to face on the front line so the first thing is about connection even if you feel it has gone and you have lost it you can still get it back Fiona Pinar told me this and she works for a crisis charity for young people very small things will bring it back notes under the door you take a cup of tea and even if you get a foul tirade back at you 
just being there, showing you are there is enough. It is keeping the connection. And if you have preteens, try and keep those little rituals. Eat together once a week without your phones. Really, really important. It was the overwhelming piece of advice I got. Eat together without your phones once a week, even if no one speaks. Gradually, people will speak and it will come back. Bring that back in to the room. And also, I think the main thing is taking care of yourself. But don't catastrophize and don't panic because every day is a new day. So if you had the worst day yesterday, you can have a much better day tomorrow. And it's not really about the rupture, the horribleness of what's gone on. It's about the repair and how you repair it. So saying Mm -hmm. sorry when you need to say sorry, truly, truly listening when they tell you something, not stepping in and trying to fix it or offer your point of view, just let them talk, because that's what they're doing. They're processing it in their brain by saying it out loud to you. And I think that kind of stepping back, calming down, and being curious. And it's what Philippa Perry says, it's feel with, don't deal with. So you're not Mm. sorting or fixing, you're just feeling, you're just being in the room, you're trying to eat with them, always side by side, never face to face. So it's really tiny things, actually, that make a lot of difference and you might have lost the connection for a bit but you can gradually and it might take a while build it back but don't lose hope Mm, brilliant advice thank you so important and lots to learn and and obviously for any of you that haven't seen the book it's definitely worth worth a read and a share with as many people as possible so thanks again Lorraine it's been great for your time today thanks for more information about the perimenopause and menopause you can go to my website, menopausedoctor.co.uk, or you can download our free app called Balance, available through the App Store and Google Play.